Hey everyone, I'm Layla Basin and this is Writers Talking TV. Tonight, I'm here at the Cinematheque Quebecois in Montreal with our special guest, Cynthia Knight. She's the showrunner of Mohawk Girls, the acclaimed series on APTN and Omni. Now, before Mohawk Girls, Cynthia worked on the comedy series Sophie for the CBC, as well as several features. She's been a development executive and is a graduate of the Canadian Film Centre. Tonight, we're going to be watching an episode of Mohawk Girls, which a critic recently described as what would happen if Sex in the City had a baby with a Joseph Boyden novel, all produced by Chandra Rhimes. And did I mention that this is Cynthia's first adventure as a showrunner? Not too shabby. So, if you're a fan like me and wanting more, no worries. Mohawk Girls is currently in development on its third season. So, let's welcome Cynthia Knight. Thank you. Okay, so hey, Cynthia. <laughs> Full disclosure. I've known Cynthia for a number of years. We worked together uh, briefly on her uh, feature vacation ship. And although she looks like a nice girl... She's one of the few writers I know who has written a cheer about anal sex. Or would you describe it more like a spoken word poem? Let me just say, by the way, and you'll see that in this episode, our lovely actress who does the cheer just walked in. Oh, so well, I don't. I don't want to put you. I don't want to put you on the spot. But would you? Would you stand up and do it for us? <laughs> Maybe later, eh? Like after. Oh, because yeah. it was such a small passage, it would be easy to remember, but... Okay. All right. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. So, bef- bef- we'll, we'll see it in this episode, and then maybe we can ask oh. Heather what it was like when she first read it in the script. Oh. <laughs> Knew she had to do that. That would be good. Okay, so now, uh, before we get to the question that's on everybody's mind, which is, how do I get a gig on Mohawk Girls in the next season, I want to talk to you about the early days. So I want you to flash back way before you wrote this show and you ever thought you were going to be a showrunner. And I want you to tell me what made you become a writer, especially a screenwriter, instead of a doctor or a lawyer, which I'm sure your parents wanted you to become. Yes, my mother wanted me to be a lawyer and my father wanted me to be a doctor. See, I was, I was right. Okay. I didn't want to go to law school and I was really squeamish, so those two were out. And I actually was... Uh, uh, an actress for about a minute and going to audition after audition and you know not getting roles because you didn't look like the person they cast as the brother the person who was supposed to play your brother or or you know I always got this comment like your your face doesn't match your body you have the face of a leading lady but the body of a character actor I mean the the, the craziest things did that make you feel insecure um <laughs> a little yeah okay I I really wanted to storytell. I had been doing that since I was a kid. I did puppet shows and I acted and everything. And I was getting frustrated um, acting and not being able to tell stories. So while I was doing that, I started to write. I didn't know what I was doing. I started writing features. I recently read one. It was the most horrible thing I've ever read. But I started to really enjoy the fact that I could put stuff down on paper and tell my own stories and not have anyone you know, prevent me from it. So that's sort of the genesis of the writing thing, that that sort of control and able to tell, like have a voice and tell whatever I wanted to. And I ended up, I would always, I was doing part-time work in Montreal, doing script revisions, 
anything I could to make some money while I was auditioning. And I ended up doing script revisions for a company which was then called Cirrus, mm. wonderful company, yeah, really now called Athex en Image. And um, I started doing script revisions on all their TV shows. And I would see the process. They'd get notes from the network, the writer would rewrite, the producers would give their input. And I slowly started to kind of fall in love with the, the, the process of television. Because up until then, I'd written a couple of features, but it was so solitary. Um, and, and from there, I decided, I found out about the Canadian Film Center's television writing program, which is a phenomenal program, a really practical six-month program. And I, 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 in two weeks, I kind of whipped out a spec script and all the elements you needed for the application. I applied and got in. Wow, because it's, it's very hard to get into that program. And also, <laughs> people who graduate from that program, I don't want to say are guaranteed a job in the industry, but a lot of people have, have uh, moved on with their career after that. So what kind of writer are you? Are you a procrastinator? Are you a person that like waits for the deadline like tell us a bit about your day your writing day well this is another reason also I like television because there are deadlines and you have to do the work you know Layla mentioned this feature film vacation ship that she helped me with so long ago I'm still working on it I mean it's the umpteenth draft but I'm still working on it there's no deadline so you know it's, it's never perfect you're never ready to give the thing in um but with TV, you have to. And I love that it's collaborative as well. I've, I've realized as I go that I'm much better when I work with other people. Um, I like working. So first of all, for TV, you know, you work in a story room. You figure out the arc of the, of the, of the season. And then you flesh out each episode. And we do it in a room with a few other writers. And then we all go off and write our scripts and mm -hmm. have very strict deadlines. I am the best procrastinator on the planet. I'm very good at it. Um, do you uh, clean your house? Do you... Like, what's your methodology for procrastination? Anything. Mm -hmm. Anything. All the things on my to-do list that I haven't done in six months, I will, I will do. Um, yeah, I, I just... Um, I just went away, I just went south for two weeks to write where there was like no internet and I couldn't be distracted by anything and it was really productive and I came back two days ago and today I was writing and there's the internet and there's Facebook and you know you need to respond to all those people you haven't talked to in ages and you need to read articles and yeah I'm, I'm a big 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 procrastinator but because with, with TV, like it's, it's not, you know, the producers are waiting for drafts at a certain date and they need to give notes and the broadcaster is waiting to give notes and, you know, you need to eventually, you know, you need to have the scripts due by a certain date because they need to break them down and budget them and then you need to go into production. So I definitely procrastinate and leave it till the, no, I don't leave it to the last minute, but I don't, I, I, I give it in, you know, if it's due by end of day Thursday, they have it midnight Okay, Thursday. now, the writing life is a difficult life, and I don't know what the percentage of screenwriters in Canada are that actually support themselves by writing. Do you know? Yeah, it's something like, um, I'd say about 30%. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So um, I was going to say, like, do you ever regret uh, not becoming a doctor or a lawyer, making that choice of the difficult life? The insecure, difficult life that <laughs> you have chosen? I think my parents regret that. 
My, my dad was always like, well, that's a hobby. That's not a job. Um, it was tough. It was tough for a really long time. Can you, and, can you tell us maybe a little bit about like some of the, the bad experiences you had and then maybe some of the good experiences you had? Sure. Well, the, the bad experiences, I mean, I, I found it really hard to, you know, you need to pay your rent and you need to support yourself. So, um, you know, at the film center, it was interesting. We had to do a business plan and decide how we were going to support ourselves while we were trying to, to break in. And, you know, some people worked on the weekends. Some people did temp work part-time. And I've always been someone who works really hard when I love what I'm doing, and I'm really lazy when I don't like what I'm doing. So I couldn't get up every day and go to an office. I couldn't work at a coffee shop. I just I wasn't inspired. So my plan to earn money while I was trying to break into fiction was to story edit nonfiction, reality shows, doc series, and stuff, which was great for me because I felt like it was really helping me learn story skills. It's a very different kind of story skills. It's shaping story instead of creating from scratch. But it was still teaching me and, and, and honing my skills in, like, narrative structure. However, that's a really sort of full-time job. So you get on a show, you work on that full-time, you make a bunch of money, and you put it aside, and then you have a few months or six months or something where you can write your own projects, but then you have to go back and, and find another job. So I always had trouble balancing that, like the, uh, the other work versus trying to write. And if you do too much work for money, then you don't have any time to write. But if you do too much writing, yeah. you know, at one ta- time I had student debts, I could barely pay my rent, you certainly have moments where you're going, I can't, this is not sustainable. Not as glamorous as it looks, is what you're saying. So and what about... Especially in oh, Montreal, yeah. it's really well, hard what, to find work on English stuff. I, mean, I was going to ask you a bit about being a woman in the, in the world of writers. Is it an asset? Has it ever been a problem? Has it ever helped you? I wouldn't say it's an asset. <laughs> um, you know, but I was reading recently this, this, this study on... on how the, the the number of women in the in the writing in Canada, and uh, they, there weren't that many. But I've had really interesting. I've had an interesting experience, like working in development for series that became Attraction. Um, you know, the head of the company was a woman. The producers of Mohawk Girls are almost all women. Our, our, our line producers are women, the creators are women, it's about these four young women. I haven't, you know, I feel like I've had more sort of like linguistic limitations just because I speak French well, but I can't write it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've had more linguistic limitations being an English writer in Quebec than I have being a woman. Okay, so now, just before we talk about Mohawk Girls, you, you were on the series Sophie for a while, right? Do, do people know what that is it's a CBC series it was it ran two seasons it, maybe it was the last sitcom produced out of Montreal comedy I don't know anyway I was just going to ask you is there anything that you learned while working on that series that helped you or things that you didn't want to you know bring to the series that you're working on now as a result of what they did there absolutely the the show does anyone know the show Sophie or it's yeah, kind of a... it was based on the sh- the, the the French Canadian show Les Zoé des Bas de Sophie Paquin, which was a fabulous show, a one hour show, and it was uh, adapted into a half hour comedy for CBC. 
And I loved the French version. It was very character-driven, and there was lots of humor, but it was, it was pathos, too, and it was really... I kind of bought into the characters and cared about them. And then in the English version, it was decided to go a more sort of sitcom route. And it's just a, a question of sensibility and what you prefer. There are shows I love that are sitcoms. There are shows I love that are more character-driven. But what I like to write is really more sort of like what the original was. So it, it definitely it taught me a lot about writing comedy and, and sitcom. I learned a ton sort of technically about the joke and setting up the jo joke. Um, and, and it also taught me or, or sort of reinforced my taste and what I would like to do, okay. you know, when I had the chance. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Mohawk Girls. So first I think we should talk about the nuts and the bolts, like how did you get involved? What were the events that took you from what I understood? You were almost like packed your car. You were, you were ready to go to Toronto, get the phone call. What happened? I, I had worked a little bit with Tracy Deer, who's the Mohawk Girls was the brainchild of Tracy Deer, who's a wonderful award-winning documentary filmmaker, at, from Ganawage near Montreal, and uh, Tracy wanted to get into fiction, and APTN, the, our one of our networks, was very supportive, but she hadn't done any fiction before, so they suggested she do a short film, which she did called Escape Hatch, which was sort of the precursor to the series. And then uh, she was applying to APTN for money to do a pilot of uh, Mohawk Girls. And she was waiting and waiting, and I had worked with her on a couple of small projects, short films for the NFB and stuff, and we had, we had talked a long time before. I had seen in Playback magazine, she was, I think, one of the like 10, top 10 to watch or something. Okay. And, I, and I, I read her thing, I'd heard about her, and I had colleagues who thought we'd, we'd, we'd get along well and we should work together. And then I read that she had this idea and she was working on this series. It was like Sex in the City on the Res. And I was like, this is before I ever met her. I thought, that's a really interesting idea. Like, it's really kind of accessible and, and, and you know, relatable. And at the same time, it would show this absolutely different world. And um, so I ended up meeting her and we ended up working together a little bit. And she, she asked, she was putting together this package to get money to do the pilot. And she asked if I wanted to get on board. And I ended up being sort of called in by her and the producers. I was on my way to the gym. It was in my workout clothes. And it was about a day before this application was due. And they realized that they needed, like, a pilot script. They couldn't just apply with the short. <laughs> so they're like, come over and let's just whip this out. I was like, well, you can't just whip out a pilot script in, like, 12 hours. But we took the short film and tweaked it and added to it. I mean, it was a very bizarre process. And we applied. And we waited and waited, and we didn't, we didn't know. And in the meantime, I thought, I had decided already to move to Toronto. So it was during TIFF, the film festival. And I had gone to Toronto, and I was there. I was going to look for an apartment. I was going to move there. And, um, and I was there in Toronto when I got the call saying, we got the money, come back. And that was in 2009. So then we reworked the pilot, because you can't really take a short, just add in scenes and think it'll work. We reworked the pilot, and we shot it at the end of 2009. That was an original, very low-budget pilot okay. way back. So that was, that was the first step. And then? Oh, and then we well, waited. They, they, aired, they aired the pilot sort of on and off throughout 2010. So the original cast... 
carried forward into the series? It was three out of four main girls, no? Were you in the first one before we had Jane? Yeah. I feel like we've done the first episode almost three times counting. <laughs> the short. Who was you and Brittany were in the original pilot, but not... Brittany and I were in Escape Hatch. The short. And then by the time we got to the pilot, that's when we had Mickey. Uh, Mickey playing Anna instead of Lauren. Yeah. And then two years ago... Ganadio was in the yeah, original three, pilot. Yeah. Yeah. So no. <laughs> okay, there were so, some changes. So you and uh, Tracy, I mean... She, you know, it's her baby in a way, and you're the person with the experience, and you come in. And how does that, like, relationship work? Yeah, I was a little nervous. I didn't know how it was going to work because although we had worked together and gotten along great, as you said, I'm coming into her world, and I'm the person who knows, story, like, fiction story and structure, so I'm going to kind of be, like, setting the parameters but it's her world, and I don't know her world. I was exposed a lot to to Ganawage. My mom um, had a friend from there, and growing up, we'd we'd go there quite a bit. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't like a foreign world, but still, you know, I'm like a Jewish Montreal Anglo. Yeah. I mean, it's such a I different mean, I, universe. I, I'm betting that your blood quantum number is probably below fifty. Well, <laughs> but emotionally <laughs> or, or physically. But so, but I have to ask you so. When you when you immersed yourself in the world and uh, did you like read books? Did you just hang out? Like, did you just like? How did you how did you learn about the material? Well, one of the things that Tracy and I decided early on, and one of the things that attracted me to the project, even the idea before I knew much about it, was its universal appeal. Like this idea of four young women and the struggles they go through. Um, I, I related, Tracy related, every, you know, every young woman I know from any ethnic, religious, whatever background went through the same stuff, like questions of, of identity and following your heart or, or family and community obligations and, you know, where you belong in the world and who you want to be and dating not-so-nice guys and then, you know, having self-respect and dating nicer guys when you're older – like, all this stuff is so universal. And Tracy and I, it was very important for both of us to be really world-specific, but also not have anything that that wasn't really relatable to anyone. So it ended up being a really nice kind of combination. So it wasn't like me coming in and trying to portray a world that I can't relate to and don't know anything about. There are lots of specifics that she corrects me on, both in the story room and when, you know, when I, when I write scripts... Um, I'm not good at writing insults or, or like, mean <laughs> yeah. behavior or I'll have someone be like, that's not nice, and sort of tap them. And she's like, no. Instead of that's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she thinks I'm really wimpy. So, you know, there are lots of, an, and, and lots of, you know, dialogue, the way people speak, and lots of very world-specific things that she'll give me tips on or, 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 or pointers or correct. Um, but in terms of, like, it, it never felt like I was trying to, tell a story I didn't understand because everything we have in there we make sure it resonates with with both of us okay and just like the writing of comedy as you said before it's a very structured thing you know and often certainly on American sitcoms or American comedies there 
there's a, you know, huge writing rooms where they spend a lot of time poring over every line. But you don't have that kind of writing room, do you? We don't have that kind of writing room because we can't afford to yeah. have that kind of writing room. And so also, how do you craft your comedy like? Well, also, it's not a sitcom. Right. So, in a way, we're sort of lucky. It doesn't have to be, you know, a joke a minute mm -hmm. and that really rigorous build, build and yeah. set up and pay off. Um, you know, from the beginning, we wanted it to be like life, like, like, like light and, and, and funny um, and entertaining for people watching it. But um, but really kind of character based and and have that that bittersweet like the the, the levity and also the, the 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 touching kind of the, the bittersweetness of life really. Um, so we're not so we don't need to be so rigorous about the comedy because it's it's a I mean no one likes the word but it's a dramedy you know it's a yeah. drama and a comedy. So we really get to have stuff. Um, stem from whatever the character's going through and sometimes, and really with Heather's character's storyline um, you know, sometimes it's really sad and heart-wrenching and sometimes it's really kind of light and and goofy but we that's that's sort of our our rule, you know, we try to keep it really believable and not have stuff that's like hijinksy or over the top just for the sake of comedy So once you cast, I mean it's always a bit you know, easier to write because the the characters exist. So how much input do you have into the writing? Um, not, not that I have anything to do with the writing, but I mean... But with, with the character. Um, one of, I just remember season one when we were in our house and we were sitting on the couch just jumping off ideas because <laughs> what the great thing is that Cynthia Cynthia's there and because the characters are are women and there's a lot of joking in between takes like oh my god this happened with a person that I know and there's all the little personal anecdotes and that um, even when you start working with the other actors and the chemistry and you're like I think it'd be really fun to work with this person you just kind of bounce ideas off that's and cool just that she's very open very yeah very open like wouldn't it be funny now. if this happened and it just kind of sometimes they appear and now some series like you know, the actors will kind of uh, line up at the door, you know, to comment on the scripts. And some producers, some showrunners are good with that. And some showrunners are, you know, just read the script. This is what we're paying you to do. So where do you come from? Oh, yeah. Down I don't that? want to ever hear anything that they <laughs> suggest. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, we're, we're, we're very open, but I, I, I found... Um, I found our, our, our actors just so, uh, you know, dedicated to, I mean, most of the things we discussed were more like, you know, what, what's the character's motivation or why are they doing this so that they could really bring what was on the page to life. Um, I don't think we had a, I, I don't think I had a ton of, you know, once we had a read through, I think for, for this last, the last six, like the second season, um, we had a read through and the, the storyline for, for Bailey was very, depressing and so and and I, I mean I could hear it immediately in the read-through and she kind of Jenny who plays Bailey um uh Jenny Prudovic no, noticed it and I was like we talked about it a little bit and I was like don't worry we're gonna really kind of lighten it up and some things were redundant and so I worked on that and I, I think she was really pleased but um you know it's it's um Heather had an interesting time her character is kind of a bit of a doormat and 
someone with very low self-esteem who kind of accepts so little from the guy she's with and her dad kind of abandoned her and it's really this journey of kind of learning to love herself instead of looking for love from these people around her and um, Heather's an incredibly confident person and so we had a lot of talks I think about how like how you play this person who at the very beginning you were like oh you want to like give her a kick in the pants and like tell her to she's great and love herself but the the what the actresses brought and what what Heather brought to the role um, you know it, it's I mean as you said it's it's the, like it, it brings it off the page and it makes these characters three-dimensional and way more complex than I made them or, or, or you know so that all of a sudden makes it much easier to then write future seasons because you can yeah. you can picture them and hear them right for sure I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the critical reception so for the audience who hasn't read all the fabulous reviews they are uniformly fabulous so I'm just going to read some of them so John Doyle said in the Globe well, say hello to a great, gutsy new Canadian series that is both hilarious and consequential. It's about Native women. And the Toronto Star said, Mohawk Girls has, has been lazily connected to sex in the city in order to define what it is. But it isn't that. It lacks the cynicism of that series, but it glories in a similar post-political correctness attitude to single women, sex, men, and power. At the same time, it's laugh-out-loud funny. And uh, somebody else said, it's a slickly produced package that looks at issues of racism, sexuality, and culture in a frank and oftentimes subversive way that would not be out of place on an edgier cable station. So... I notice, like, you know, watching it, that some of it is pretty far out there. So I have to ask, were you worried, like, going too far? Will it make it on network television? What, 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 where's your self-censor? What, what, what's the deal? There were lots of scripts that we submitted to the network, and then we sort of waited for them to be like, what, are you crazy? We can't show this. And, you know, it's really interesting. APTN is a small network. But they, they take risks, and they're really bold. And uh, Omni had a few reservations about some of the things we did, but APTN talked them into accepting them. There was one image only that Omni insisted we pull. And it, 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 it I mean, well, it was a little bit extreme. <laughs> well, well, do we get to hear what it was? It was an imagination sequence. Like, the A character in each episode has an imagination sequence, so you go into their mind, and... This is a, a, a Zoe who's the kind of type A control freak who's getting into Who's also into, into this, bondage. Yeah, she's into this sort of S&M thing to like just – she's so controlled in her real life that she needs to kind of let loose and, and give up control. And she imagined – she had this imagination sequence where she was like wrapped in saran wrap and had like a gag ball in her mouth. So I understand. That was fine. We pulled it. <laughs> but it's it's – you know, everything else – we had to take out a few swear words from scripts. Yeah. You know, we were told not to use the F word. But aside from that, I mean, to have this on network television is really rare. And I, th I think you're going to see the example that we're going to show is a particularly one of the out, more out there episodes, I, w I would think. So anyway, I was also thinking, like, you know, often when you conceive a series – you're not really too worried about the folks you're writing about. So if you're writing about vampires or werewolves, you know, you're not really worried about them 
text messaging you in the middle of the night or uh, ranchers in Alberta or whatever. But uh, this is pretty touchy stuff. And the Mohawk community is right next door to us. And as we learn from this series, they are tough. So what's the reception in the community like? Um, you know, we were definitely, we wanted, we wanted this show to work for and appeal to a Mohawk and then a bigger Aboriginal audience. And we wanted it to work for and appeal to a non-Aboriginal audience. And the real goal is, first, entertain, and second, you know, build some bridges and some understanding. I feel like there's so many stereotypes and misconceptions about Native people. And, um, you know, we see the stuff in the news and we think certain things about them. And really, we were hoping to show the specificity of the world and, and some difficult things, sure, but some really beautiful things. And then also how universal it all is and how ultimately we're all the same and we have the same wants and needs and, and fears. So that was what we were hoping to, to have as reactions from both Native and non-Native communities. For the most part, that has been the case. Some people in, in both communities have taken issue with it. Um, you know, it's certainly, I can understand that some uh, Mohawks, and certainly we're very specifically saying that this takes place in Ganawage, and some people are going to be touchy about showing the rest of the world. It's like airing your dirty laundry. Yeah. You know, when I was young, my mother used to tell me to keep my family business to myself and not well, air your it actually, dirty laundry. It actually reminds me of the joke, you know, where the Jewish uh, son urges his mother to go see a psychiatrist. So she goes to see the psychiatrist, and she comes back, and she says to her son, don't worry, I didn't tell him anything. <laughs> you know, So I, I feel like here in this show, like, you, it, you, tell, you tell us everything. And I worry, you know, I was wondering because... Uh, I also, you know, have some connection to the community. I have some friends. And uh, I find that, like, I'm wondering, you know, the, the stuff that you kind of put out there in the portrayal, like uh, um, whether, whether that was an issue. Well, it's been really interesting. Like the sexuality, for example, is, is fairly specific. Right. Rampant. Rampant, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, my mother. My mother asked about that. Like, is that all? Is that is that all young people? Why, why are all your people in your show having sex? I was like, well, kind of young people. A lot of people it's kind of a young people have thing. sex a little yeah. more easily than than you might have when you were young. But um, yeah, I think that's sort of pretty universal. But we have, you know, it's been really interesting to uh, listen to some of the discussions on social media, um, and 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 watch, you know, the people interact. And some people think. We're portraying these these people, these these Mohawk women, as you know, sex hungry, and 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 portraying some of the guys as, or a lot of the guys as assholes, um, and then some other people are weighing in, saying, "Well, hey, that's the case with with a lot of people, and that's the case with a lot of people in our community." And we also are very specifically have a lot of wonderful female and male characters in the mm -hmm. show. And, um, you know, we, 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 we tried to have a balance in there. And, I, and again, I think most people have, have really responded well. And I think some people are always going to be critical or cynical of, of anything that we put out there from any community or any group. But I'm actually surprised at how much positive feedback we've gotten and how little negative. I'm, I'm really well, I think that's great. Pleased. Well, I think that this is a good segue into watching the episode. So hit it.
So uh, should we should we open it up a bit to questions, or should I continue uh, droning on? <laughs> Do we have questions? What? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, go ahead. Ask. What is your skill set? Yeah. I smile. I laugh. No, but like, I guess he means like editing, music, like. Yeah. Um, so because it's, because Tr Tracy Deere and I both executive produce, we kind of divide duties. Um, she directs as well. So I'm sort of the producer on set when she's directing. Um, and we both uh, have equal say in, 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 in casting and editing everything. We make all those decisions together. Okay. So now I, I wanted to talk a bit, you know, when I, I watched the whole series, and uh, I used to be a fan of Sex and the City, and I sometimes watch girls. I'm not like a – it's not really – I'm not really their demographic. But, you know – I thought, like, in Sex and the City, it's really all about friendship. And, and in a way, like, men take a back seat. And I think, like, from what I've seen about girls, it's about finding yourself. And uh, men are part of that. But it's really, like, you know, existential angst and identity. Now, I find, like, that with this show, it's pretty focused on finding a guy. Like, you know, I, I know what those guys do for work, but they're not obsessing about it in the way that women tend to do, you know, as part of the package of being a young woman. So you obviously made some choices. Do, do you want to talk about them? Well, this episode is definitely guy-sex-centric. Okay. Um, but, but we did, and, you know, it is, I mean, as you said, it's a huge part of being a young woman, yeah. dating and trying to find a guy and wishing you had a guy and then being with a bad guy. and. Um, but... You know, Plus, there's also, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's also the huge pressure, as there is in many, you know, I guess minorities, to, like, hook up with a guy from your group to propagate the race. I mean, that's a Jewish thing, too. So Absolutely. Some of us are more successful than others. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. I'm laughing because I see my parents in the audience going, yes, you should have been with a Jewish guy, which I am not. I, I did try, but, you know, it's hard, hard to find. Um, okay, I didn't try that hard. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's especially that's you know, one of the things that I could identify with in the show, and certainly in this group, and I know it's, it's, a, it's a, an issue with many minorities, like dwindling numbers, and you're aware that when there's intermarriage in one or two generations, your children are going to be part of the dominant culture and no longer keep, you know, celebrating Hanukkah when the whole rest of the world is celebrating Christmas. So that's... That's on your shoulders. And, and Mohawk people are such a small number already. And so there's a huge desire to and, and, and pressure to, um, yeah, continue the, 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 the culture and the, and the people. Um, so though this episode is very kind of guy and sex-centric, uh, we really have storylines beyond that for, for, yes. for at least three of the four main characters. Heather plays Caitlin. Um, you know, Caitlin is really guy-centric because her whole thing is about um, needing and trying to get love from other people, and not only guys, but including her, her dad, you know, chasing 
other people's love and validation because she doesn't have enough for herself. But one of the storylines with Zoe, it's really about, you know, being self-sacrificing and doing for your community and trying to be a role model and trying to do too much and trying to be everything everyone wants you to. And that's why she needs this escape. And uh, the character of Bailey, although it's a lot about finding a guy, it's really about her trying to follow her own path. She's very curious about the world. She's an explorer. She's an adventurer. And people kind of pressure her about her desire to travel and do stuff in Montreal and not kind of fit in that box and interact with. And, and you know, she moves to Montreal and likes to interact with, with, with people outside of her group. So she has a real struggle about doing right by her community or following her heart. And, and uh, Anna, who ends up with Thunder, sure, she gets the guy, but really her thing is all about she's half white and half Mohawk, and she grew up in New York, and she's she moved here for university. And so for her, it's all about trying to kind of fit in and belong, and, and her dad passed away, so this place is kind of the, the only part she has left of him, and she wants to connect with him. So there is a lot going on aside from guy stuff. Yeah, I, I thought that actually uh, the character of Anna is a very successful character because it's through her that like the average viewer can enter into that community and learn along with her like what the deal is because it's very you know particular and very specific to that uh, community. Yeah, we had uh, we really had to you know there were a lot of moments where in the story room when we were figuring out Anna's storylines we were like well what, why she keeps being rejected or mocked or or told to get get out or go back to where she belongs. Like, why does she keep staying? So that was a big thing for us to develop this storyline of, of the dad and her, her desire to connect. Um, and, you know, she ends up kind of going too far in, in, in proving that she's part of this. But we, we hope to come up with something that was believable for her to get all this flack and, 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 and stay there. Because, yeah, yeah, she is the voice of of the outsider. For anyone watching the show who doesn't know this world or how it works... Well, she, it's also interesting because she's the one who goes to university and so she gets like the prejudices and the, uh, you know, mistaken um, views of white people, you know, towards uh, Aboriginals. But, and, and again, you get to express that through that character and she feels outraged. So I'm going I'm to open the floor to questions. You can ask any questions. Wait, we have a microphone. Oh, okay, sure. Hello, testing. Hi. Um, question. Uh, when you're working through the storylines of the characters, do you also kind of like, with the community as well as like, say, being Caucasian, do you work out like kind of like cliffhangers for the story uh, to work out towards, a, say, a seasonal ending that is a cliffhanger for the next season? I don't think being Caucasian has anything to do with working at cliffhangers. Well, I mean, given, given, <laughs> just given the content of the, of the series, <laughs> I mean, saying. you know, we're talking about two cultures yeah, yeah. here. Okay. It's funny, I'm just thinking, in one of the episodes there, the character of Bailey meets a Jewish guy, and they're like, oh, she's with another white guy. And then someone's like, well, is he white? He's Jewish. Like, he's been persecuted, but he is kind of white. And But so he only wants to date Jewish girls in the yeah. end. So. Um, yes, we. the first thing we do... Um, you know, it's always, it's, from the very get-go, we've had an idea of where we want the characters to be. You know, it's like we're creating this arc. You never know how many seasons you're going to have. So it's, you're creating an arc that you don't quite know when it's going to end. But we have an end in mind. And so we're kind of slowly building to that. So that was the first step. And then each season, um, you know, and 
13 episodes aired, and I say each season because actually we shot seven, and seven were supposed to air, but the network decided to hold it, and then the next year shoot another six and air all 13 together. So we have 13 that aired together, but it's actually two seasons, and so now we're developing the third. So for both of those seasons, the first thing we did was say, okay, like, where do we want, what is the arc of each of the main four characters? Where do we want them to end? And then sort of plot it out a one-liner for each character for each episode of like how you know in their journey and then once we had so it was like four lines per episode you know Caitlin breaks up with Butterhead uh, Bailey moves to the city whatever those one-liners were and then we would flesh out each episode from there okay so anybody else I think those guys are leaving a uh, question no okay <laughs> Okay. Luckily, I have another question. Okay, so now I have noticed... Oh, I, w I was going to ask you about casting before I asked this question. I mean, you know, the series I've worked on, uh, we've had native actors. It's not, it's, there's not a huge pool, and I, I imagine that it wasn't that easy casting this show. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, you know, you heard that discussion before about who was in the original pilot, who stayed. Like, we we loved Heather, and she was in it from the get-go. Um, Brittany LeBourne, who plays Zoe the Blonde, she was in it from the get-go as well. Um, we had to, or the person who played our original, Bailey, was going on to something else. We had to replace her, so we did a national call. And we also did a national call um, for this Anna, played by uh, Micah Harper. And, um, you know, we shows that have native actors, not like you often see the same faces. It's kind of the same with non-native stuff, too. We sort of see a lot of the same faces over and over. And we really wanted people to believe this world and not see a ton of familiar faces and really, you know, get to know these, these characters in and of themselves, not like actors they know or recognize playing these characters. Um, but we wanted really, really talented casts. So it was definitely a balance of finding people with really natural talent, people who hadn't worked a ton with recognizable faces, but who would really be vibrant. You know, one of the things I notice in some shows we make in this country, and I've, I've done this many times, I've written this way and I've casted this way, we can be a little bit timid and the acting can be a little kind of quiet, you know, and we wanted it to be very vibrant and, and really compelling and, um, you know, bold. This, this show is bold, and we wanted our, our, our writing to be bold and the cast to be bold. That was really one of our kind of guiding principles. So um, it was tough. It was tough to find. We didn't find our Butterhead for a very long time. Uh, uh, Miguin, who, who plays Butterhead, was, I think he was touring a theater production in the, in the north, and we were gonna, he was going to have to audition over via Skype but he was uh, way up north and the Skype didn't work. So we kind of tried, I mean, the whole thing was like botched, but he ended up kind of going back to Toronto and we retaped and it was really getting down to the wire. But, you know, roles like that are, are tough. You know, we wanted a fresh face. We wanted someone who could be a real believable asshole, but someone who could, you know, smile or say a few nice words and you just kind of melt and give him the umpteenth chance. Um, so it was really interesting, and we wanted Native actors to play Native roles. There is not one person in there who plays a Native role who is not Native. I, I was just uh, reminded, you know, one of my favorite moments in the whole series was when the 
actress that plays your grandmother when you go to Alberta talks about like why the guys are such assholes basically and how we have to give them another chance. And I thought that was a pretty uh, profound moment. In this yeah, I, I, I almost chose that episode because there are a lot of really touching moments. It's it's the fourth episode in the in the first season. I, I didn't choose it because the production value was so much better second season. Um, but it was a, I loved that episode. It's actually I think my favorite because it's really touching, and yeah, it's 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 Caitlin is really searching for love, but we get a lot of context about why. You know, her dad's a, 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 a really kind of selfish absentee dad, and her grandma is actually telling her with so much love, just just wanting her granddaughter to be happy. Um, to, to, to settle and to give guys a break and look at everything they went through and you know they were ripped away from their families and went to residential school and didn't learn how to love and didn't get loved and and you know I love being able to give those moments in the show within this entertaining contact like world um, context to why yeah, it's very easy very for good. us from the outside yeah. or the outside of any minority group look and look and go oh they do that and it's not good and they're you know that's their own fault but but we often don't look at why you know why are there certain high numbers of higher numbers of criminality in x and y minorities and ethnic minorities and why are there certain problems in these communities there's right now there's a conversation going on on facebook about this show and several people saying well, they get all this money and they get all this help and if they don't take it, it's their fault. And I've heard many such comments about other minority communities like black communities. Well, they're, you know, they need to buck up and slavery died a million years ago and we have a character in the show say, oh, you guys need to get over it, black people have. And we put that line in there because Tracy got that line on a date with a guy. And we just could not believe that someone would say that. A white guy being like, black people are over it. <laughs> so, you know, to be able to, 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 to give a context and, and hopefully have people in the outside world kind of look and, and without even knowing it, just be sort of assimilating some of these ideas that may take away some of their stereotypes. That's, that's definitely what we're hoping to do. So, okay, a question. Well, go ahead. This is a podcast as well, so we need to pick up the questions. Okay. Hello. Okay. Hi. Um, so I guess I have a question about more about the background of the show. I think I read online that um, before the show started that there was a summer program that different girls were involved in, and some ideas around the piloting of the show or piloting around the film came from that and for me I work with girls and so we do a lot of media projects and I found that kind of inspiring so I was wondering if that was true uh, and like how much of the stories come from lived experience and sharing stories with people who maybe have been involved in the project for many, many years. Yeah. Thanks. To answer the first part about the summer program please I have Children. Uh, Brittany and I have known each other for about 20 years. We were children in the same community. And Gunawage has 
a theater company called the Turtle Island Theater Company. And so it was an opportunity to learn theater skills and music. And that's where we had met. And Tracy Deer, the, the creator, um, she was a camp counselor there when she was a teenager because she was a few years older. So it kind of are, especially when you live in a small community, you get to know people, especially if you're an artist and are into that kind of stuff. So we had always kept in touch so the summer program link, that's kind of where it comes back, of growing up in this community together. But, I mean, the stories, I mean, I grew up knowing Tracy as well. So you listen to, when you grow up in a small community and all the dating stories that you have and you amass them all together, which a lot of them have made it into the 13 episodes, you always joke and you laugh. You're like, oh my God, this is just like a TV show. So Tracy, being an artist and being a filmmaker, took that and that's kind of where it came from. And I think even though that all the things that happen or happened in in our lives, or at least I know people that this has happened to a lot of the the those things like black people have gotten over it. I mean, I lived that too, you know, as a university student at Concordia and McGill, like I went through that too, and even not so long ago. So those kind of things, just Tracy being an artist, taking it and putting it into into the story and you know, as being adults and wanting to start a career that she, you know, she approached me about this idea a million years ago. And that's kind of how, you know, you keep in touch. But I mean, we, even though we know each other, trust me, we still had to audition. I remember wanting to throw up at Elite Casting because I was so nervous sitting there looking. And another fun fact, which maybe you don't even remember, that originally Brittany and I were considered for each other's roles. So it was just a fluke that... I was called in to read Zoe. She was called in to read Caitlin. And just for the heck of it, they said, hey, read the other character too. And the characters just fit us that way. Yeah, I, I, I remember telling Tracy, like, even though they're your friends and you guys all grew up together, like, we're making this show now and it needs to be as good as it can possibly be. And they're not just getting the roles because they were in the short. And she was like, I know. And then they auditioned. I was like, okay. <laughs> so they have the roles. Let's move on. So now I have to ask, who's watching the show? Like, what do you know about the demographics and the, you know, and the ratings and all that good stuff? Like, Our target demographic was 18 to 30, primarily Native women and then secondarily non-Native women. Um, it's a little tougher for APTN than most networks to track who's watching and how many people are watching. There aren't a lot of the, you know, black boxes that measure who's watching on reserve. Okay. Um, but they, they do measure everyone who watches online. And it is, it is online if you want to watch it or tell anyone about it. It's on uh, aptn.ca. All the episodes are online in addition to a lot, a lot of uh, other you know, behind-the-scenes videos and stuff. And it's also on Omni, omnitv.ca. It aired in uh, in uh, English so far on, on both channels, and it's actually going to air in Mohawk on APTN. And Subtitled Mohawk or dubbed Mohawk? Dubbed Mohawk, and it's going to air in dubbed Mandarin on Omni. Wow. Which will be very fun to see. Yeah, it was great. Really exciting to get Omni on board because they understood that it, though it was very world specific, it had the potential to appeal to a really wide audience. And Omni is a very, like their demographic is very multicultural. We have another question from the audience. Yeah, speaking about Mandarin and Mohawk and what have you, um, I feel there's a kind of an irony here 
in that uh, because it's set in Kahnawake, it's very location-specific. You talk about Montreal. You talk about you know all these various things that are quite specific. Um, on the other hand, if you were to maybe be making a series in Toronto uh, and being a success, you would maybe be making a series that is not specific uh, because everyone in Toronto is trying to get a sale in the U.S., and they feel that's impossible. Uh, maybe you've given up getting a sale everywhere except China, and so therefore you feel, well, what the hell, you know, we can admit where we are. I'm just wondering, since you've been on both sides of that, uh, if you might talk about um, the advantages of being able, uh, you know, to, to say where you are and what you're doing and not be fearful versus maybe other kinds of productions. And I won't mention Bon Cop, Bad Cop as an example of a specific universal uh, feature film. Yeah, you know, it's a good good question, and I think it's one that comes up a lot when you work anywhere in Canada and then certainly in Montreal. Um, we thought about it a lot, and we talked about it a lot. Um, we got no network pressure either way, which is nice. Sometimes the network wants you to be kind of generic to appeal to the widest possible audience and not alienate anyone. Uh, it was really up to us, and we thought about it a lot, and we thought, you know, this is a very this is we're celebrating the specificity of this world and to make it generic or kind of water it down you know it, it just felt like we weren't being being true to what we were trying to do and it felt like the more specific we were the more we felt like we we're representing a true place the more people could could you know uh really see what we were trying to do, you know, i.e. show a real place and a real world and real people and start to kind of enjoy them and connect with them and understand them. I, I was just going to say that in my experience in the television industry, um, in fact, you know, for the last nine years I've been working on shows that are very uh, place-specific and, uh, you know, set in Canada and sold all over the world. So although, like, you know, I'm sure you're referring to, like, shows like, I don't even watch these shows, so I'm going to name some names, like The Listener or some of the medical shows that they shoot in Toronto, the kind of, you know, procedurals and stuff like that that are generic. Well, Blue, for example, okay. I, I don't a know. very curious game because they mention the real streets of Toronto. So if you know about Toronto, then you know, oh, that's set in Toronto but they don't put Toronto on the signs of the police cars oh. so that you don't know it's in Toronto if you live in Minneapolis. Okay. But, like, I think that, um, you know, Heartland is a show where we celebrate the fact that it was shot in Alberta. Same thing with uh, Strange Empire. Uh, David Preston and I did a, a kid's show that was shot in, and we called the location Greenfield Park, which is in Montreal, so... I don't know. You know, I think some of those shows, um, you know, again, it, some of them have American broadcasters on from the get-go, and they have pressure from the American broadcasters to not make it Canada-specific so that the their American audiences won't be, be alienated or, you know, they worry that they would be. Um, we didn't have that pressure, and, and no, we have not at all given up on a, on a U.S. sale. Uh, we recently got a, a, a distributor, GRB, uh, on board out of the U.S. They're very excited about the title, and they're we're just finishing the paperwork, and they're going to cool. try and sell it in the U.S. and around the world. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, who who feels like 
despite the specificity, it's interesting for them. And you know what What, what decided me really uh, finally to just really stick to, to sort of the, the facts and not make it um, generic? Um, I thought a lot about uh, Les Invasions Barbares, you know, the film The Barbarian Invasions. And it's so world-specific. I mean, on one level, it's all about the Quebec healthcare system. And yet, people around the world loved it, and, and, and it won an Oscar. And I, and I was reminded that sometimes the more world-specific it is, the more universal it is. You know, we all have our quirks and our cultures and wherever we live. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we can relate to, to even if other communities or, or peoples, and this is, in fact, you know, true of our show, even if I, as a Jewish person, can't relate to the specific quirks of or all the specific quirks of Mohawk culture, I can relate to the fact of the quirks, the pressures, the, 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 the conflicts, all that. So we really just fully across the board from location to character to everything made it a very specific time and, and place. Uh, I was just going to say uh, something about Facebook because you mentioned that there were, uh, you know, discussions on Facebook. And I, I see from Facebook and Twitter, like, just how involved you are in social media. And, uh, I mean, that is kind of a new thing for a showrunner because, like, a lot of showrunners will step back and uh, a publicist will do that or somebody will do that. So I'm asking, I'm wondering, are you doing it because embracing social media because like you know it's part of like the thing you like to do or is it a budget thing or what's the deal there she's procrastinating <laughs> exactly <laughs> well a little bit of both i mean you know aptn um and um, well aptn is a small network they don't have marketing and promotion budgets the way some of the bigger networks do so there's definitely a lot more onus on us to get the worlds out and and to to promote and you know it's been a long process like since 2009 so part of it is i think we're all you know our actors have been great about getting the word out and and promoting the show uh, i think part of it is that we're really excited to finally be able to show this thing that we're proud of to to people and um and certainly like for me the facebook part because i know facebook is kind of fun and easy and it's it's interesting. I really like hearing the conversations around the show, whether it's good or bad. You know, it's really interesting to hear Does what people think. Does it ever influence you? Like, do you decide, oh, you know, they hate it when I do that with that character. I'm not going to do that again. No. What, what it does, like, we definitely take note. And if there's something that isn't working for people, we'll, in a story room, we'll try to look at why it's not working. <laughs> Um, but there's no comment so far that I've read that I thought, oh, we need to do that. I have to say there are many comments on Facebook about one particular actor. Well, everyone loves like Heather's character. But we got so many comments, and I don't know if they're all related to Jimmy or not, but we got all these comments. Jimmy Blaze right here, he's one of our actors, and he played this, this, this a small character in the first season. At the beginning, he didn't even have a name. His name was, like, Angry Guy. He went out <laughs> on a date. Oh, you saw him at the beginning, the first scene in the trailer, when the guy's going, screw Europe, let's stay among our own. Yeah, yeah. That's Jimmy. Okay. And it was just a guy who Bailey went out on a date with. But he was so good, and we thought he was so, like, he really brought the character to life, that we had him come back as, like, the friend of this guy who was getting married in a later episode, and uh, we're, we're writing him in this big part, this new season. He doesn't even know what it is, but it's really fun and juicy, and he's going to be fantastic. All right. That was like a total um, 
tangent I just went on. Oh, that's what good. Was, what was the good. question? Yeah. It's about Facebook. Go ahead. Oh, Facebook. I'll say yeah. one more thing. Twitter, I don't get. I've no, been trying. You know, it's not just not just in a small show with a small budget. Our digital media person, she works, she's out of Toronto, Innovate by Day. They're an incredible company. They work on all these huge uh, uh, Toronto shows, and they tell all of their, their showrunners and all their creative people, you have to, it's part of it now. You have to interact with your audience. You have to tweet. You have to have a conversation. And I so I've been trying, but I don't Look know. Look at all the people. Heather likes my tweets, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> he said he knew he was a, he went to high school with you, but um, he just loved the show and he loved that he could interact with with us and ask the questions and just all the behind the scenes videos. And he ended up bringing Brittany Tracy and I's gifts, like in appreciation for being able to inappropriate gifts. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It seems to be an, a new part of making media, film, TV, yeah, sure. anything huge, else. Yeah. That's kind of a, a becomes a, a part of what one needs to do. It's part of the experience now. Soon you'll get mobbed in the mall. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you <laughs> off before you even started. Uh, no problem. Well, first off, congratulations. Uh, I think it's great that you guys have taken it this far. And and the social media stuff, I think, has been very effective. Like it's it's very it's consistent, but it's not sort of. Uh, overwhelming but uh, is there any uh, spoilers or anything edgier that you guys are thinking about going for your next season that you can let us know about the character of zoe who you saw like taking her first steps down this path of sort of you know snm like testing boundaries she goes way further she has a bit of a breakdown at the end of these 13 episodes and then she tries to make up for it by taking on more responsibility and this is in the third season she will try to make up for her blunder but in so doing she gets even more harried and stressed and tense and so she's going to go really far down the down the rabbit hole so that that'll be and and I don't know yet if what we wrote I'm presently <coughs> writing the last Beat sheet. I was doing that before I came here, procrastinating by going on Facebook and tweeting about this event. And um, um, I don't know if the network is going to just say okay with everything we've written. Some of it is a little extreme, um, but I'll, I'll see shortly. I should get notes next week. Um, and for the other characters, storylines, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff. Caitlin's gonna gonna have a bit of a crisis. 
and make a make an interesting choice at the end of the season. But I'm I'm thank you for that comment about the the social media stuff because we 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 planned you know instead of just cobbling together stuff after the fact we made it a real part during production like we had someone doing behind the scenes videos we wanted lots of little vignettes we we wanted to really give um you know our audience some some added experience of the show to get to know the characters to get to know the world and stuff so uh, uh on our on our, our facebook page and our website there's tons of of of, of stuff we did a web series um, uh, uh, featuring Mickey who plays Anna as right. like little extra things of like an outsider commenting on the world and we have lots and lots of like funny little little videos of like there's a scene of Zoe burning dildos and there's a you know the, the men of Mohawk Girls and the fashions of Mohawk Girls we did all sorts of like fun stuff to give to give the audience like a little little more and we and uh, and we put it out there sort of before and after each episode. So thank you. That's good to know that it was effective, but not too much. So I think uh, we have to wrap it up. No? You could have five more minutes okay. if you'd like. So any, any further questions from the audience? So as you're finishing, what's next? I mean, it, how do you get involved in the show and learn about the universe and write about it and then you start worrying about what's the next job. And that was going to be my next question, actually. <laughs> it's what else have you got on the back burner in this brutal world of TV writing? Yeah. Yeah, I always worry about the next job. I mean, we're so we have this new season that we're writing and we'll produce and we probably will have it's six episodes we're doing and then we probably the likelihood is that we'll at least have seven more so that they have two packages of 13 so they can sell and that you know APTN often just does four seasons so that'll probably be the end it would be certainly an exception if we had more so yeah I definitely think about you know what's next I, I have an idea for a show that I'm slowly 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 developing i'm writing another draft of this feature that Leila helped me on 50 trillion years ago um but you know it's it's hard to have the time and the 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 mental energy to be developing and working on other stuff until pretty recently i was still doing part-time work developing english projects for a production company and i was writing another feature but i actually stepped aside from the development job and i i stepped aside from the feature because it was just too many things and i love writing the show it's it's really the kind of material i love to write tonally the kind of material i love to write so Instead of taking on every opportunity because it's there, I thought, you know what, pare, pare it down, enjoy working on this, panic after, <laughs> you know, just so I'm doing this and the feature. And, and it's definitely, you know, it's an issue for a Montreal writer to, to work on Ontario shows. Um, it's a little complicated credits. for many tax reasons credit. most uh, mostly the tax credit reason they can't they don't get tax right, uh, credits for hiring us not so many English shows here so it's always a little worrisome of what's next um, but but hopefully we'll have at least two more seasons of the show so I'm able to to focus on that also if you could imagine like write all day go home at like after a 12-hour day 
and what like write all night you know it's it's, it's not something that's easy to do to yeah that's what, that's what working. I was doing and I just I just needed to pare down a bit because I wasn't didn't have the energy to be doing this and doing it really well because I was yeah you just your yeah. sort of brain never gets a break and I, I want to put out there also like we have you know it was it was important for us not only to show to have a show showing like the this the specific native world but we also had a lot of um uh we we wanted to foster uh talent native talent and local native talent and so uh, we had some some young emerging actors. We offered them some acting courses and small roles in the show, um, and we had uh, we have training programs also for um, young native people who want to uh, develop some skills in in uh, like in film crew. and TV. Yeah. yeah. So we had a lot of trainee positions. So you know, if there's anyone out there who falls in this category and who wants to to learn more and and do some kind of training program, you know, you can contact us uh, on our Facebook page or on the website. And um, well, that, we're, we're always looking for people. That actually was my final question, which, oh. was, which was my first question that everybody really wants to know, which is how does a person get a job on your show? Definitely. A writer, specifically. Yeah, definitely for writers. I mean, this is how I started. I'm not, I don't know how you started, Leila, but... So I, long ago. <laughs> you know, it's really great to get in. If you want to do TV writing... I mean, aside from going to the Canadian Film Center, which is the best thing you can do, um, to if you have a little bit of experience or you have some samples and you want to get some practical experience, the best way to try and do it is to get a coordinator position. It is not glamorous. You're in the story room, and essentially your job is to take notes of what everyone says and keep track of the, the, the board and take notes because we, we talk a mile a minute and have a million ideas, and at the end of the day we need very organized notes. It, it, it's best to hire someone who's a writer or an aspiring writer who wants to learn how it all works in a TV room. And, you know, we, we will need someone for a future season. We also, Tracy and I, uh, want to hire an aspiring filmmaker as an assistant during production this coming season. She directs all the episodes, right? She directs all the episodes. She, we, we wanted to open it up to, to uh, uh, one or two other directors, but we block shoot the whole thing. Like, we, sh we don't shoot by episode. It's too expensive. So we shoot it as if it's all one giant piece. So every Kitchen scene that we scene, have in yeah. Zoe's house, we shoot together in a block. And every, you know, even if the actors have to go from episode, emotionally, from where they were in episode one to seven to three, there's and, no and choice. And are you on set? Yeah, I'm, I'm on set or right near set, you know, writing on a stoop or in the trailer or whatever, rewriting, like... Or Tracy's calling like, oh, that line doesn't work. What's a what's a funny line? And I'm I'm terrible on the spot. I hate that stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I think that uh, any other questions? This is your last chance for questions. So um, I want to thank you for coming and uh, for particip you know for participating and enlightening us. And uh, we wish you like tremendous success because it's a great show and it's also like uh, great kind of a, a, a great Montreal product, you know, great local product. And thank you, Leila, for being an excellent moderator. Yes, thank you so much, and thank you, Anne-Marie, for organizing this into the Writers Guild. That's, you know, that story I told early on where I was, like, in Toronto and, dead, and like, down the 401. It's, 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 it's so great that the Writers Guild chapter is really active here and keeping people here 
and there's work and there are interesting opportunities and interesting events and you know I think that helps keep our, our, our little pool here really vibrant so a thank you and it's really fun to be a part of this. Writers Talking TV is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. If you like this podcast, feel free to like it on our website, wgc.ca. I'm Layla Basin, here with WGC counsellor Anne-Marie Parada, offering you some advice on writing. So first of all, turn on your computers, pour yourself a cup of coffee, and before you know it, you can have a fabulous career in screenwriting just like we do.